episode 170 of Australia's number one marketing show. Hear from a listener who's implementing the marketing L-O-V-E and getting some amazing results. Plus, I have a fireside chat with a fellow who's launched Australia's largest, that's largest, bricks and mortar computer store. Let's go. Welcome to the Small Business Big Marketing Show, where successful small business owners share their secrets to take your marketing to the next level. Now, here's your host, Tim Reid. G'day, everyone, and welcome back to Australia's number one marketing show. I'm your host, Timbo Reid, but you, so much more importantly, are a motivated small business owner ready to crank out. Oh yeah, crank out some great marketing that is going to build that business of yours into the empire, maybe, maybe, that you want it to be, or just that kind of lifestyle business that you want it to be, whatever. This is the place for smart marketers to hang out. And we are brought to you by the very good folk at Net Registry, who are there to get all your online marketing sorted. I kind of had a little quiver in my voice then, didn't I? I got a bit of a bit emotional. Um, look, Net Registry guys, search engine optimization, website design and development, pay per click advertising, social media setup, all that stuff that may kind of freak you out. You know, I'm a very, very big believer that as a small business owner, a marketing should be a hobby, as you would have seen in a recent email if you are registered at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com, and B, that you, the small business owner, should really, really focus on creating great content, great messaging, solving problems of your clients, of your prospects, and not worrying about all the technical stuff that sits behind great marketing. So whether it is opening up a Google AdWords account or optimizing your website for the search engines or designing and developing a website, you've got to get others to do that. And I know marketing budgets are modest, but net registry are not the most expensive going around, let me tell you. So head over to smallbusinessbigmarketing.com, click on the net registry banner, and you'll get some exclusive packages that they've put together just for SBBMers. you got to love that. Hey, um, we're also here for everyone in the flying solo community, all you solopreneurs. Big show today, team. Big show. Now, I want to share, you know, sometimes I do, well, often I do a listener question. I share listener feedback. I'm doing the feedback after the final outro of the ep- of each episode now. I share some listener love that I'm getting on iTunes. So don't know whether you hang around for that or not, but it's my way of giving back a little bit. But the I want to share a listener success today. And that success is from a listener who has been listening to the show and has implemented some of the stuff that I've been talking about around email marketing and about restructuring your website. And he has got some fantastic results. Want to share that with you? Um, There is an event coming up that some colleagues of mine are putting on that I strongly believe in, uh, love the program that they do. And I want to share those dates with you. And I'm going to have someone who's been through that program come on in a week or two's time. So uh, start that discussion. And I have got a guest today that has taken uh, Harvey Norman Computing from a $9 million minnow to a $570, yeah, he completely destroyed it, no, to a $570 million empire in the course of nine years. And his name is Tony, and Tony's going to share exactly how he does that. I don't know how we're going to fit all that into one episode of Small Business Big Marketing, but boy, oh boy, am I going to give it an RHG, a red hot go. 
Okay, so speaking of Red Hot Goes, I want to share a listener success. This is from a listener, also a member of the Small Business Big Marketing Forum. Uh, His name is Nick, and Nick is just... He's cranking it. He is a small business doing big marketing. And uh, listen to this uh, post that he put in the forum uh, just yesterday. He says, hey, guys, I wanted to let you know how this stuff has been affecting my business. And he's a, he's a regular listener to the show, which I love, and he takes massive action. I had never done much email marketing over the years, as I hate the junk stuff I get in my inbox. Now, I believe that many small business owners kind of shy away from email marketing because they think, well, they hate it themselves, so why should they do it and invade other people's inboxes? Um, Not sure that's the best mindset to have around it. And in fact, I'll put in a link in the show notes to an interview I did with Shane Tilly a few months ago, email marketing expert, and that may well convince you otherwise and, and make you put email marketing back into your marketing arsenal. Back to Nick's note, he says, so in the past, I really would avoid this one like the plague. I think I had sent out, uh, start again, I think I had sent out two in the last two years. Yeah, well, that's not uncommon, Nick. But I decided after listening to one of the episodes of Small Business Big Marketing on email marketing that I needed to do something. I came up with an idea, and he had two ideas. First one, he came up with an idea to adopt a non-profit. So he sent out an email to my to his customers announcing that I would be adopting a non-profit once a month. A great idea. Then announced who the non-profit was. The feedback has been great. Customers I have not heard from in years emailed me back. Great engagement. Now, that's really interesting. I'll pause there because that is really interesting. What you'll find is if you do uh, activate an email marketing strategy, there'll be customers who have been lying dormant for years, for months, out, whatever, because you just haven't been in contact with them. And you've got to touch your customers on a regular basis to remind them that you're there, you know? They're not there thinking about your business. So you've got to kind of tap them on the shoulder and email done well is a good way of doing that. Nick goes on, then I sent out an email informing customers of a resource to buy carpet at wholesale. Now, I should remind you, Nick has a painting service. He's in America and he has a painting service. So he sent out an email adding massive value to his customer base, reminding them of a place where they can buy wholesale carpet. That's adding value. That's good stuff. That's going to increase his open rates going forward because people will start to think, huh, get an email from Nick's business. It's going to be valuable. Okay, back to his note. Needless to say, the email stuff has gone great. Everything I send out is based on what Timbo recommends. Okay, and he summarizes what I recommend. So let's touch on that. Little to no picks. Yeah, correct. Like, cut to the chase. Don't pretty it up for the sake of prettying it up's sake. You know, those email templates that you see in a lot of the email newsletter services, uh, they just make you look good. They don't necessarily add any commercial value to your message. One idea. Right, one idea, one email. Focus, focus, focus. So people can focus. And in a note format. So not the big fancy glitzy newsletters with lots of bling, but just do it. I mean, my emails that come from smallbusinessbigmarketing.com are very much, they look like text emails. They're actually HTML because they've got little links in them. But yeah, just a nice clean note, I think works quite successfully. And, and Nick, it is for Nick as well. Nick goes on to say, open rate has been over 50%. That's outstanding. 
That is outstanding. My plan is to send out an email blast twice a month. Now, that's interesting in itself because he's committed to a schedule, a schedule of emails to go out, not haphazard anymore. So that sets an expectation in the mind of Nick's customers and prospects. So they they kind of get used to receiving it. Think about what the big advertisers do. They use frequency, so why shouldn't we? All right. Nick then goes on to say, that is big. Uh, that is the big one that has been obvious. Content creation has also been another big focus. After I restructured, updated my website based on feedback from Timbo, I've had the best January ever so far, and it is only halfway through. Oh, Nick, that is such a great testimonial. Thank you, mate. Uh, we usually don't see this much activity until mid-February. At the rate we are going, we might hit a sales volume of, and he puts the dollar figure in there, but I won't share that for privacy's sake, but he goes on to say, which is usually what we see in our peak springtime season. I am confident that this year is going to be great from a sales perspective and a profit perspective. Now, that's interesting. He rejigged, you know, Nick's again been listening to the show, been having chats inside the forum, and he's made some just some changes to his website. Not necessarily massive changes, but little pivots that have improved the communication of what his business does. Has has you know, it's become more benefit driven. You know, he's he's deleted things that just weren't getting traction, which is clogging up the communication process. So you know, Nick, well done. And I wanted to share that with all listeners because everyone can do that. Okay. Nick is a small business owner. He's in the States. He's got a great little painting business, home painting business. It's a beautiful niche too, by the way. Um, And I just think, you know, we can all, we're all small businesses and we can all do big marketing. You don't have to have big, deep pockets to do it. You just need to know what you're doing. That's why you're listening to this show. So Nico, thanks for that. And listeners, I hope that inspires you to do some great marketing. If it does, maybe head over to Small Business Big Marketing and check out the forum I I'm in there every day. I'd love to see you in there. Okay, team, I just want to tell you before we get stuck into today's guest uh, about these wonderful brand accelerator days that a couple of mates of mine are putting on, Glenn Carlson and Daniel Priestley from the KPI program, Key Person of Influence. I've been through it myself, uh, past guests, Peter from Caboodle Financial Services, uh, Darren Finkelstein from St Kilda Boat Sales, both past guests of the show, both cranking out amazing marketing and amazing business processes. And that's what this program's all about. Um, I'd love you to go and check it out. Um, they're really, really inexpensive days. Tickets start at 59 bucks and... Um, uh, it's just so well worth it. They give you an amazing eight-hour insight into things that you can be doing in your business now. So it's not a pitch. It is absolutely things that you can be doing in your business now. Their model's based on the tech incubators in Silicon Valley, except these one-day brand accelerators that Glenn and Dan put on are not tech-focused. They're focused on driving fast growth in like normal service and product-based businesses, and their methodology is proven, let me tell you. They're doing it in Australia. They're doing it in the UK. Uh, and I think that, yeah, and they're doing it in the States as well. Uh, past delegates that have done it are just doing some amazing stuff. I hope to get future uh, successful KPI uh, students on the program in weeks and months to come. In fact, I've got one coming up, Tracy Angwin, who's turned payroll into something extraordinary. I know. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Hey, listen, the dates for these brand accelerator programs Melbourne, uh, 7th of Feb, Sydney, 13th of Feb, and Brisbane, 28th of Feb. I'm going to put a link 
link in the show notes uh, over at Small Business Big Marketing. Go to episode 170 and you'll find the link to the program where you can register just to go and spend that eight-hour brand accelerated time with the guys. It is so incredibly valuable. I know a lot of listeners have been to it in past uh, past years. Uh, and if you want to find out more too, as I said, I've got Tracy Angwin coming up who's been through the program and has got an amazing business uh, that has made payroll sexy. Who would have thought? So today's guest is Tony Guattari. Tony actually hit me up through the Small Business Big Marketing website. He said, Tim, I want to be interviewed on your show. And he said um, he's been listening to the show. He loves it. And he would love to share his journey where he took Harvey Norman, which is the one, well, it's, it's the biggest uh, big box retailer in Australia, uh, where he kicked off the computer superstores and with a great team went from zero to $570 million in sales in nine years. And I think that's a great story. It's a story that happened uh, not, not yesterday or last year, happened a few years ago, but I think there's some great marketing insights that we can all learn. I, uh, you've heard me say before, for, you know, retail is such a um, such a great breeding ground for clever marketing strategies, and Tony absolutely shares some amazing marketing strategies here. In fact, uh, I think I maybe might even stop the interview at one point to uh, have a little bit of gold dripping from the ceiling, if you know what I mean. So, uh, love talking to Tony, high energy guy. Let's get stuck in, and on the other side of this fireside chat, um, I'll share what I think are my top three learnings from our time with Tony. See you on the other side. Tony Guattari from the Achievers Group, welcome to Small Business Big Marketing. Thanks, Timbo. Thanks for having me. Mate, long-time listener, first-time caller. Yes, yes, I'm a, um, someone actually, a mate of mine actually put me onto your show and he said, have you listened to this insane guy <laughs> called Tim Reed? I said, no. I said, and I downloaded the podcast, and um, I've probably been listening to you. I think I did one Sunday morning where I listened to 10 of your podcasts, one after the other. Jeez. Uh, uh, Because I was actually doing a bushwalk for something like three and a half hours. See, I find that really weird. I mean, I, I think it's weird that you listen to me 10 episodes in a row, but I get many uh, emails from listeners saying they do. But I'm surprised at how many listeners say they listen to me in what I would consider quite beautiful settings, uh, i.e. a bushwalk. And the last thing I'd want to hear is my dulcet tones. Yeah, I know. But at the end of the day, <laughs> you've actually, you've actually got to invest in yourself. And sometimes the best time to do that is when you're in a comfortable zone where you can sort of just invest in your own mind. Yeah, interesting. No, interesting. And, and you get too much clutter at work and you're not really taking it in because there are so many interruptions. Mm-hmm. So you just need a time that I find where you can just invest really heavily and listen to the content and understand what that content can do to your business. Interesting. So when you are out and about doing that, Tony, how do you, do you obviously have a good memory because there's obviously ideas coming to you. Um, how do you kind of capture them? Um, on my iPhone, I actually take notes. I write stuff. I um, screen capture stuff. Um, yep. Anything in the moment, I would just sort of take that and then sort of say, hey, I could use that or as an idea. Um, and, and it's just really interesting because I tend to listen to stuff that I'm not well equipped in. And um, your show in particular has got so much great content on 
new rules of marketing and that yeah. whole digital content side, um, which is really the big shift that has happened in marketing over the last 20-odd years. Massive shift, and, and and you are a um, well, you're a pretty big proponent of marketing, and obviously we're going to talk about that very shortly. You you kind of um, uh, you 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 like me believe that marketing is kind of the oxygen of a business, so we will talk about that shortly. Tell me, I'm really interested because um, coming on this call, you know, given your background, the Harvey Norman computer thing, and you're kind of a man of the moment, but you're a Skype virgin. What's that about? Well, yeah, I, I tend to use Google Hangouts. Uh, right. Is- Skype is all relatively new to me. I tend to use Google. Um, I've sort of ditched Outlook. I've ditched Microsoft and I've gone with Google because I find Google so much more easier to use. Yeah, right. And because it's cloud-based and the accessibility of what that cloud actually does, um, and it's just I find it so much more useful. So So how are you using Google Hangouts in your business? Uh, we use Google Hangouts, first of all, to do online chatting. Um, we do Google Hangouts to use online conferencing. So I can actually have up to 16 people uh, on one session. I can share screens, which is absolutely brilliant. Mm. The ability to share a screen because I'm doing so much advising and look at their financial data. So I'm pulling their information from the cloud and I'm actually going through their financial data with them in real time. Interesting. And, and that's really powerful stuff where you can actually show them stuff and you can say, hey, have you looked at this? Have you looked at this? So um, I don't have to travel so much anymore. I used to travel a lot, but I don't find the need to travel. I can still deliver the same value through technology. It's insane. I mean, what what is available to us small business owners? Well, it's not just small business owners, but this is a small business show uh, that is available to us uh, in terms of of productivity tools. It's quite insane. I've got I've actually got an entire section in the small business big marketing forum called the factory, and that the factory section is where all the productivity tools that myself and other members are finding along the way. And um, it's quite brilliant. Some of the stuff that uh, that's out there that just allows us to do more with less. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, so, you know, imagine, you know, something as simple as a Google Hangout has all of a sudden uh, threatened the likes of Qantas because you're not travelling as much. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I'm staying at home more and I'm enjoying the family more and I'm, in, you know, and I'm much more productive too in terms of what I'm doing because I'm not travelling in insane Sydney traffic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Tony, um, I want to get all philosophical with you, but not not just yet. Uh, let's let's go back in time, mate, and um, like set the scene as to why uh, why we're having a chat to you, Tony Guattari of the Achievers Group, because previously it was Tony Guattari of Harvey Norman, which at the time, or still is, Australia's largest retailer. But you had the idea of um, them starting a computer division many many years ago. Uh, tell us about that. Well, Tim, they actually did have a computer division, but it was a Mickey Mouse computer division. Um, This is way back in 1990. Goodness me. Um, They were called Harvey Norman Discounts. At that stage, Harvey Norman Discounts was predominantly only a New South Wales retailer. They had a couple of stores in Queensland, but uh, we had not even entered the Victorian marketplace at that stage. Um, and, and basically, they had two stores selling computers. They were franchised. I think they had about 36 stores at that stage. And they were selling, um, you know, things like the Commodore VIC-20, the Amiga, the Atari, 
um, dot LX1, you know, LX100 yeah. Epson dot matrix printers, um, Amstrad computers. And I basically was a marketing, passionate marketing sort of evangelist. I worked for Johnson & Johnson. And then a mate of mine actually said, look, Guitari, I'm, I'm working for this maverick retailer called Jerry Harvey. And you used to work for me because I worked for him when I was going to university in a department store called Walton's in New South Wales. Mate, you are just bringing up some, some wonderful old brand names that have gone by the by. I know, I know. And, and um, he, he basically rang me up and he said, look, Atari, we're not going to pay you, okay, but what I'll do is that if you write this report, because I was like a quasi-consultant on the sides, I will get you in front of our chairperson, chairman, who is Jerry Harvey, who even at that stage was a bit of a maverick retailer because he'd just mm. broken away from Norman Ross discounts and he started up Harvey Norman and he started up the whole concept of we're going to beat you, a bit like the Aussie Home Loans mm. concept of actually attacking an enemy. Okay, and that enemy was Norman Ross. Um, and he rang me up and he said, just do the reports. And I, you know, being a marketing person, I wrote this most atrocious report. It was 120 pages of pure waffle. What are we talking, mate? Mission statement, objectives, target audience. You've got it. Boston Consulting Group. Oh, you know, yeah. They, you had, did you have a matrix or two? Oh, mate, I had so many matrix. I thought it was like a magnificent trophy of mm. my marketing prowess that I learned from university. <laughs> I presented to the Jerry, and uh, Jerry, in his amazingly interesting way, looked at the report, highlighted the spelling mistakes to me. Nice. I'm an atrocious speller. Mm. And um, basically, you know, I would never write a report that way anymore. You know, I'm a two page person now. Mm. Two page? Yeah, Jeez. two page. So, and, and he read the reports. He rang me up the next day and he said, why don't you do it? Now, I, Tim, I didn't want to do it. I just wanted mm. to get paid. I already had a job. I was in the palace of marketing. I was in fast consumer moving goods. You're in the mahogany office at Johnson & Johnson. Yeah, and it's like that's, that's where you go. That's where you're told to go in marketing. You're told to go either to Unilever or Johnson & Johnson yeah. because that's where the action is. So he was very persistent. Um, he is very charismatic. So in 1990, I joined a retailer called Harvey Norman Discount. So you took up his offer. He said, you do it. And uh, after a bit of, well, you're a young bloke. There wouldn't have been too much argy-bargy, but you saw the opportunity. Yeah, I was 27 years old. And I said, oh, let's give this a crack. And um, I was at the right place at the right time. I had certain skills. And the computer division, which was doing 12 million over the next 10 years that I was there, was actually nine years. We grew the division from 12 million to 580 million. And the most remarkable thing, Tim, is that the computer division, which represented 3% of the total turnover of the organization when we joined, it was considered the joke of Harvey Norman. Why are we doing this? This is such a waste of time. Um, and, and clearly it was incredibly labor intensive because we were selling computers to first time computer users. They were a bit like boomerangs. They'd always come back with problems. Well, well, the bloke at IBM didn't, wasn't he quoted as saying, you know, the world will even, the world will only never need three or four. Oh, absolutely. 
absolutely, absolutely. And these computers weren't user-friendly. There was no online support no. at that stage. So the retailer, by default, had to carry that support. And if you carried that support too far, any of the margin that you made in selling the product would be lost because of the servicing cost of actually assisting this virgin computer user. We are talking about first-time computer users who never used a computer in their life. Tony, I just want to uh, – let's get philosophical because um, I think it's really interesting. You say you're at the right place at the right time and um, the spiritual part of me says there's not really such a thing. You, you've made it happen, right? Uh, so let's get a bit woo-woo. Um, you're probably being a bit humble and I don't think you're a humble bloke. Um, you know, you, you made it happen and I think there's a lot of people listening to this who – would love to be proactive, would love to pounce on on an opportunity that they see, but for whatever reason, it could be a simple lack of courage, don't want to be laughed at, um, don't want to be seen as silly, whatever it may be, are just never, ever actually going to find their Harvey Norman computer, computer kind of uh, idea. What do you say to them? Focus on direction, don't focus on perfection. Direction, not perfection. What do you mean by that? Look, mate. Every business that I've run since then, even in Harvey Norman, we actually had it about 80% right. Okay? You don't need to get it right. You just need to do shit. Mm -hmm. And what we sometimes do is that we over-plan, we over-perfect, and we never launch. And what I found out, it's really so much about momentum. We had nothing right in Harvey Norman. It was a bit like Star Trek, you know, and the, the captain said, Captain, Captain, she's going to blow. It was almost like that every single day. That was definitely Star Trek, was it? I don't know what it is, but it's Star Trek, but that Scottish guy. And it was like we were growing at 140% every year, compounded growth. We had franchisees screaming and yelling, saying, I can't run a computer superstore. I'm not ready. I kept on telling them, you are ready. You'll never be ready, right? We will get you there, but you've just got to start walking, okay? Because as you start walking, you'll grow and develop, but you've just got to actually start moving. Can I draw um, just a learning from this for our listeners because it's interesting. I've just gone through and I know so many small businesses, like the simple website, Tony, so many small businesses I hear, you know, I, I ask them, what's happening with your website? I'm just waiting to get it perfect. Oh, you know, I'm just waiting to everything to launch, just got to get the website right. I've just relaunched the Small Business Big Marketing website and, like many small business owners, stuffed around with it for too long. What I've found is going live with the website, and I'm embarrassed. You know, you're talking about launching a large bloody retailer that built up to $580 million turnover. I'm talking about a website, but like I think it's an important analogy is that once I got that website live, actually it wasn't perfect, but boy, is it, it's much, much easier to make changes and improve it and push it forward now that it's live. And Tim, you're a speaker. I'm a speaker. We go to seminars. We see the same people at seminars. I call them seminar junkies. They have the curse of knowledge and they're looking for the miracle answer. The yes. miracle answer is they already have the answer. It's activation that they need, not knowledge. 
Yep. Yeah, how true. Wow. I, I say in one of my keynotes, you know, one of the things that I've, I've observed and now up, you know, by the time this episode goes to air, I'll probably have interview, interviewed around 170 successful small business owner. That's the criteria of coming on this show uh, who have used marketing in some way, shape or form to, to mould their success. The, 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 the linking characteristic amongst every single one of them is action. Absolutely. Mm. And, you know, and it's the greatest single lesson that I've learned is just do chefs. Just do it, measure it, test it, eliminate stuff that doesn't work, get your ego out of the way. If it doesn't work, just say, I've learned from that experience. And anything that does work, systemize and leverage. Being the visual guy I am, I, I'm see, I can see you running down a road, Tony, getting stuff done, throwing stuff to the left, throwing stuff to the right. You do this, you do that, you know, that type of stuff. Um, can you? Is there a, a line where you can go and be actioning too much and just become manic? Oh, absolutely. And I, I think... Where's that line? Um, yeah, it's a really good question. I, I probably crossed that line way too much. And I think what I've actually had to do is that I've actually had to get a coach for me. I've had to get someone to mentor me to actually say, slow down. What do you want to achieve? And what is the big rocks? And I think you've always got to focus on the big rocks. Because sometimes we mistake movement for achievement. Always focus on achievement. Okay, let me understand that. So I get the big rock thing, like do the big stuff first, eat the frog. Um, but movement for achievement. Do not mistake movement. We are busy. The question is busy doing what? Right. See, we live in a society of efficiency. We get a new tool. We say, wow, I will be so efficient. Mm. The question is, is not whether you're doing things right. It's whether you're doing the right things. One mm -hmm. focuses on being effective, not efficient. And the only way that you can be truly effective is that you, Tim, have to find your true north. I can't find your true north. You, you have to actually decide your true north. But you know what? No one should ever define your true north because success is personal. It's not community. Everyone gets caught up, and I've seen it. They get tempted by what other people have got, and they go, I want that. Mm, totally. Mate, what, is the Tony Katari book of quotes out yet or is it in development? Uh, no, I have got many people <laughs> who uh, I, I, I tend to read a lot. I would probably read five books a week. I have studied theology, I've studied theology, and I've studied business, and I pack that into a potent talk. Goodness me. Now, you, in fact, um, did you say you'd studied theology? Yes. Because I, uh, I read or watched somewhere where you even considered racing off to the ministry in 2002. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I just got, I got smashed at Harvey Norman. I was there for 10 years. I was the typical wog workaholic. Um, I just worked my- <laughs> A wogaholic. Yeah, mate, I'm telling you. I got my significance from my work. You know, everyone mm. applauded me, said, you're fantastic, you're superstar. And it was like feeding- something that was inside of me, which was my low self-esteem. So I got my significance through it. Then I actually got really sick. I got sick for three years, Tim. I coughed blood every single day. I had doctors saying, Guitara, you're not going to probably make it until around 45, 50, you're dead. Okay, the way it's going. 
it challenged my entire world. Hang on, let me understand that. Like, there's workaholic and there's workaholic. I've not heard of someone work so hard, and I've met some small business owners who work their rings off. But coughing blood, what were you doing, mate? I was just coughing blood. I went to the doctors. They basically said, you've got some sort of blood disorder. It's uh, your iron overloaded. They didn't know what the problem was, which was freaky. Um, they tried to actually do some stuff, and they said, we might have to have to do a liver biopsy and a liver transplant. And then what happened is that I started to readjust the way I looked at things and I got better. Uh, And as I got better, I actually said to myself, well, you know, I'm at 40 years old now. What do I want to do? You know what I'd like to do? I'd actually like to actually do something that I really would be passionate about for the rest of my life. I don't want a career anymore. I want a call. Okay. My call was to help people. And I figured that the best way to help people, okay, would be, and this is what I figured, I had so much experience in business, such a passion for business, I should help people in business. And that's really what Achievers Group is about. Achievers Group is not about making money. Achievers Group is about helping people in business. And if I do that well, I make money. You know, um, can, can I just, I'm not, no, it's not challenging you, but I hear this story occasionally where people have gone, I am just going to do what I love. I'm going to, I'm going to live my passion. And in fact, in an, in a recent episode, I answered a listener question from a guy who ran a direct sale, who runs a direct sales, direct marketing business. And he's now finding it a job, not a, not a passion. And he has this idea of a, of a social enterprise that he wants to bring to life, but he's too scared because his business relies on him and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You, I'm guessing at that point, you'd done well at Harvey Norman, you'd got a little stockpile of dough in the bank, you got crook, but you have got this, you know, you found, you've you've, you've determined to get better, but you have got some financial backing, I'm guessing at this stage, correct me if I'm wrong, so you are financially um, secure. So it's pretty easy to go, I'm just going to go and do what I I love. Well, Tim... I was financially secure, but, you know, you've got to understand that my wife wasn't working and I have two children in Sydney private schools. The greatest single challenge I had from a monetary perspective was walking away from Harvey Norman and the security of income and then starting my own business and following my passion. Because ultimately, I had to continue to support my entire family to the lifestyle that they were used to, okay, and I was trying to do my passion at the same time. Of course, I was freaked out. For the first two years in starting my own business, I had so much anxiety because my biggest challenge was cash flow because of the inconsistent pattern of cash flow that no one explained to me a small business owner had to operate under. It freaked me out. And and I was seriously going to go back into the corporate world because I, I was so secure, even though I was doing a job I liked, the insecurity, the cash flow, the flood and the drought mentality actually started to freak me out. Isn't it funny? I've, I, 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 along with many listeners, would have had that internal conversation with themselves, which is, oh, let's go back to corporate. Yeah. Okay? Just go back to corporate, easy, and then you kind of you, you you start you start to dissect that, and you think about the downside of going back to corporate, and all of a sudden the cash flow or lack of it becomes attractive. Yeah, and you sell your soul, and you give up on your dream, and you give yeah. up on your passion, and, and and you know it's 
it's like, you know, Tim, mate, you only live once. Mate, you got to smash this out of the park. True, absolutely true. Easy, easy words for some, um, but it, I, I absolutely agree with this concept of being proactive. And and for me, you use this word momentum, and it really works for me. Even even of a morning, you know, when when you, I always kind of I have that vision of a morning of like, okay, let's start the machine again. You know, it's like the diesel the diesel engineer. You know, you get down below the boat and you you turn her over. Once she starts to turn over slowly but surely, you get that beautiful momentum, and at some point in your in your day, in your week, in your career, you just you, you, it starts to hum. Yeah, hey, I just think it's so important, and I think there's a great book by it. It's called The Tipping Point. Yeah, uh, and the tipping point, and and I can still remember the day that we had the tipping point in Harvey Norman. Okay, it's when the world changed, and we changed overnight. Can I share you the story? Yeah, go. Because it's a classic story of marketing, execution, implementation, and activation that happened in a 24-hour period. Okay, way, way, way back in effectively 1995, in August, and it was August the 24th, there was a monumental event in the computer industry. It was the launch of Windows 95. Now, this was a big deal, okay, because up to this stage, Windows as an operating system was not a what-you-see-is-what-you-get programming language. It was cumbersome, and this was um, Microsoft's attempt to compete with Apple from an operating system perspective. Now, we at that stage basically had 35 stores. Now, Windows 95 for a retailer was a big deal, and everyone in the marketplace was going to sell this at under RRP, like buy it for $134 and some idiot retailer would put $5 onto it and sell it at $139. We changed the play. I said to our people, what I would like to do, guys, and this has never been done in Australia before, I want to open up at midnight. I want to be the first country outside of New Zealand to be able to trade and you can buy Windows 95 on that particular day because they had an embargo. You couldn't sell the product before. You could have it in cage stock, but you couldn't sell it. Now, initially, there was an enormous amount of reluctance from the franchisees because they said, you are an idiot, Guitari. You do understand, if we open up our stores, you understand the labor costs associated to open up our stores. But not only that, because the computer stores were actually attached to the electrical and furniture sections, they actually had to physically open up the entire store. So I said to them, but man, this is going to work. And I convinced them that we're going to do it. Now, in order to do it, I actually had to then realize that I can't play the game like everybody else. We can't sell it at $139 because everyone else will be doing that. So what I then did, and one thing that I'm really good at, I'm really good at asking, right? There's an old proverb, ask and you shall receive. So I I figured to myself, this is a big deal, and I reckon there's a lot of other software companies that will want to tail on the back end of Microsoft. So I rang up Semantic and I said, look, I'm about to buy 80,000 copies of Microsoft Windows 95. 
What I'd like to do is I'd like to bundle it with something, okay, of great value. And they had a product called um, Semantic Antivirus at that stage. It was selling for $99. I picked it up for $2. Love it. Okay. Then I said to them, my God, that worked well. And then I found a struggling, almost on its death knees, business software package called Harvard Graphics. Now, Harvard Graphics in its day was a bit of a rock star product in the presentation area, but it was on its last legs, but it still had life. I could still see it was still alive and it had credibility in the marketplace. It, it was retailing for $599. I rang them up in Hong Kong and I spoke to them. I said, 80000 Can you imagine, I said, <laughs> the amount of software sales you're going to get on the next upgrade? Mm. I got it for 6 bucks. Oh, that's a rather large discount. I know, because I man, I just went in there and I just sold the I just sold it so hard. You'll get TV, you'll get radio, and I go, wow, that's fantastic. So you, you had Windows 95 at 139, but you had some extreme value added on. Yeah, we put two other products. We put an encyclopedia called Webster's Encyclopedia. I think I picked it up for about three or four bucks. And Optus came to the party and they gave us something like $1,000 worth of gift vouchers. So effectively, Tim... At the end of the day, I was going to sell this product for one fifty nine with all the bonuses, and I was able to show the value of the. And we called it the deal of the decade. This was huge. This was a monster. Okay, I, I rang up um, Harvey Norman and I said, Harvey Norman, I want all of the advertising for the month. That means there will be no furniture ads. There would be no sort of, um, you know, there'd be no electrical ads. It was just for that window of opportunity that week. Okay, I would have all of the ads. So media intensity, okay, because this was freaky because the franchisees would be charged all the advertising costs. Mm -hmm. So I was going to blow the advertising budget in one week, okay? But she said, and Katie said, Katie Page, who's Jerry's wife, said, yep, go ahead and do it. So I did it. Um, We launched it. Um, It was just... Now, before we launched it, I even did a press campaign because I knew the other retailers would try to do something. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to block them out. So we leaked this deal of the decade to the press, not an ad, a press. We just to the press. The press picked it up. Harvey Norman's doing the deal of this decade. This is insane. Okay. And then we launched on midnight. Now, I'm freaking out. I'm going, man, this could be the ultimate failure. No one could turn up. Now, in every single store, including Melbourne, because we had a few Melbourne stores open at that stage, we had queues of people for 300 people plus waiting at the doors to actually enter our stores at midnight in a cold, wintry day. Jerry Harvey hadn't seen anything like this. He went to our largest store, Auburn, because he was going to sell the first pack. Uh, Channel 9 was there. Channel 10 was there. The next morning, Harvey Norman was on the front page as a news story on the daily newspapers, okay? Jerry was on the news with Channel 9 being interviewed about what he felt about computer software and how much he loved Bill Gates and how much he thinks Bill Gates should bring out Microsoft Windows every year. They want to get my gold on the sun. 
Tony, there's marketing gold right there, mate. There's a couple of big learnings there for listeners. One is ask. Uh, just going right back to the very start, ask. And I don't think we ask enough. And um, it's amazing how many times you'll get yes when you think you were going to get no, and that's why you didn't ask. So big learning there. And your example reminds me of something um, I did on a smaller scale at when I was at Flight Center uh, as marketing manager there. And Again, just asking one of the wholesalers to embellish what they, – they came to me with a package, a, a barley package. It included one massage, uh, you know, return airfares, airport transfers, 10 nights accommodation, one massage. Mate, I knew what the cost of that massage was. It was like a dollar wholesale. And I went back to them and said, uh, let's kind of up that and uh, come back to me with something with, you know, 10 massages, um, a fresh robe at the end of the bed, a spa treatment, all of which added about 20 bucks to the wholesale cost. We repackaged it, called it the Barley Pamper Pack, and it went nuts. And the learning there is ask and then package it. Like your your name, your, your dealer, your package name, which was Deal of the Century. I mean, it just puts some emotion around it. Yeah, and it does. And it, it just, you've got to make the irresistible offer. And you've got yeah. to have the courage and guts to not only be able to sell to your customers, but you've got to be able to pitch and present to your suppliers. Yes. And yes. what they want is they have deep pockets. See, see, I knew something about our suppliers. Our suppliers weren't interested in profit, they were interested in market share, they were interested in exposure. I couldn't give them profits because the cost of doing business with Harvey Norman was greater than actually dealing with their traditional channel. But what I could give them is what they crave so much was exposure. I can tell you, Tim, in the early days of computers, every single branded computer manufacturer told us to piss off. They said, we will never, ever sell to Harvey Norman discounts. We don't want to go down there. We are very established with our computer resellers who they had 2,000 odds across Australia. They were doing very well with them. This is Compaq, IBM and Apple. When we first started business in computers, we didn't have any of those brands on our shelves. We had Olivetti, Triumph, Adler, uh, Commodore. We had Amiga. Um, we had NEC. Okay, We had secondary brands. But I'll tell you what I did. As soon as I got the first one over the line, which was Compaq, okay, I made sure that Compaq, every ad that Compaq had in Harvey Norman in the newspapers, they had early general news. I used to send the advertisement to the managing director saying, I just thought you would be interested in seeing your ad, which was on page seven. But here's what I then did. Okay, I sent the same ad to Apple and IBM. And I said to the MDs, this could be you. Why don't we just make a call? Nice. Because it's not like it's a Pantene ad. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. And you know what? You've got to be persistent. You know, uh, one of the things, too, that I love what you've done and you you respect marketing so much, Tony, is that you have not – you're not just marketing. Often, I think, as, as small business owners, we think we're just marketing to our consumer, you know, to the customer, B2C, B2B, whatever we're doing, but you're marketing to suppliers, you're marketing to the media, you're marketing to the staff at Harvey Norman to get them on board. And marketing is about getting people on board at the end of the day. But it's having a vision. And you know what the purpose of the vision is? Your vision, you communicate to everybody. 
you know, I was sharing the vision of what Harvey Norman computers would be before we got there to our suppliers. They were so excited. They used to say to me, how can we get on board? Because as soon as they started to see the vision, they were inspired by it. So they actually wanted to jump on board, not for the sales, but for the momentum, because they themselves were inherently bored. And what they wanted is they wanted an exciting retailer that was doing stuff. Tony, uh, tough question. Maybe not a tough question. Maybe it's just not there. I maybe haven't found it. But um, in your bio, there's lots of testimonials. There's not one from Jerry Harvey. Um, no, there isn't one from Jerry Harvey because um, I've probably never asked for one for Jerry Harvey. Really? There's, yeah, there's, there's one from the uh, many people who work inside of Harvey Norman. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he still loves you? Yeah, I believe so. He spoke to me. Um, I think he spoke to me a third party. He said, Guitari was one of the best marketers we ever saw. Um, it's just that, you know, I just, I felt that my time had come to an end at Harvey Norman. I was instinctively an entrepreneur. I was not an administrator. Uh, when the company grew to a certain level, I realized that the general manager was a different mold than I was. They were effectively looking for someone to administer and maintain the growth, not to explode the growth. I think too, just listening to you, one of the things that you, one of your strengths is you know what your strengths are and you know what your weaknesses are. And correct me if I'm wrong, you're not a control freak. So you were smart enough to surround yourself with people to fill the gaps that you couldn't? Yeah, absolutely. My 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 love is sales and marketing. How do you how do you um how do you do that? It's, I suppose it's easy when you're not a control freak and, you, you know, again, I've many small business owners, it's their way or the highway. Um, how, how do you break through that? Because we're all, we're all holding ourselves back. We're leaving money on the table by trying to do everything. Um, well, it's a good question and I think it's a great question. First of all, I think you have to empower people, but I think you also have to train people and I think you've got to give people a system. There's a difference between delegation and abdication. Okay, delegation has got structure and form behind it. Now, I work in a few organisations. I don't spend a lot of time in those organisations. I don't need to spend a lot of time in those organisations. Why? Because I'm mentoring the people that are running those businesses. And the reason I'm doing that is that I freed myself up and I empower them to do it. I let go. I surrender. I actually say, just get the results. I want you to think about it. And I actually learned that from Jerry. Jerry is remarkable in one area. Jerry is the ultimate uncontrolled freak, okay? I, I was able to look at why this guy was so successful because he actually believed in you before you believed in yourself. I was very fortunate to work for a guy who put more faith in me than I had in myself. And as soon as he did that, I rose to the expectation of his belief about me. Okay, he didn't say to me, you've done a crap job. He corrected me when, when I was needed to be corrected, but he basically left me alone to create the, the destiny for Harvey Norman computers. And it is a completely different model because in order to grow something, you actually have to release it. Yeah, great advice. Tell me, um, just on that, you say you've failed more than you've succeeded. Now, um, I interviewed a fellow... 
oh, maybe three or four episodes back who uh, lost five businesses in the Black Saturday bushfires up in Marysville a few years ago, and it was all about uh, resilience and recovery. Uh, and his way of recovering and, and rebuilding was to look out beyond him and help others, help the community. He got his strength from that, and it helped him rebuild. Um, you failed more than you've succeeded. How did you get back off your knees each time? Uh, look, first of all, I probably have a different philosophical view about success and failure now. Um, I just think it's a game, and I think you go through seasons. And um, the way I look at things now is that I, I don't take failure so much badly. Uh, in the past, I would have because I would have associated failure with a failure of myself. So I've sort of distanced myself, and I can actually remove the emotion and say I screwed up. And the first thing that I can actually do is when I've screwed up, I am comfortable enough telling people I screwed up. Because I think one of the greatest qualities of success is the ability to laugh at yourself. We get so caught up in pride and ego. I see it all the time because I still speak in the corporate world. And, you know, just people so full of their own shit. Yep. Okay. And I reckon if you can humble yourself, if you can laugh at yourself, okay, and you can just laugh with others and share openly, there is great strength in that transparency. I love that, mate. I absolutely love that. If you can't laugh at yourself, you may as well shut the gate. Yeah, absolutely. And, and laugh to full stop. Laugh to, I've got a great mate, Ben, Dr. Ben, and uh, he, he, I got the giggles the other day. We both got the giggles. Two bloody little schoolboys sitting in a cafe, having a coffee, and I can't remember the circumstances, but we both got the giggles. And uh, I said to him half an hour later, geez, I feel good after that because of the whatever the giggles puts into your body, endorphins, it, it was just good. We've got to laugh more, Tone. Oh, absolutely. And, and we can't take ourselves that seriously. Remember, Tim, no one gets out alive. No one gets out alive. <laughs> no one gets out alive. Okay. <laughs> Listen, mate, I'm just going to go and get a coffee, and if you could just rattle off, I don't know, a, a, quote, a, a quote a minute. I've done enough quotes, mate. I'm sorry. <laughs> my guest last week, I accused her of being a call-to-action machine and subsequently uh, one of my listeners has gone and, and only this morning emailed me a T-shirt that he's designed which says call-to-action machine. You're the quote machine, mate. You are absolutely the quote machine. We all love a good quote too, so don't take that as a, uh, as a criticism. I love them. I think they're inspiring. Thanks, Tim. Thanks. <laughs> Tony Guattari from the Achievers Group, um, responsible for bringing Harvey Norman Norman computers to Australia, and I'm I'm guessing New Zealand. Well, yeah, yeah. Look, it wasn't me. Hey, hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh, it's all right. It wasn't you. You don't have to go into detail there. I'll just keep it to Australia. It, it, it's a team. Okay. With Here we go. Here we go. Shitload of. People, well, okay, you can't build success. You told me as I put the mic before I hit record that it was all you. Oh, yeah, get real. What sort of <laughs> wanker do you think I am? Okay. <laughs> oh, Tone. Hey, mate, that's great. Um, thank you for being such a supporter of the show too. Uh, I really appreciate that. And when you hit me up for an interview a few weeks ago, it was it was full of enthusiasm, and I think enthusiasm sells. I just think, mate, you've got a great show because, you know, you don't do fluff, you do content. Good on you. Love your work. And I just think that's absolutely fantastic. Thanks, Tone. All right, cheers, mate. Yeah. 
What do you reckon about that team? Tony is a high-energy guy, and yeah, got to love a bit of my sex computer games, by the way. That was a track from my childhood. Early 80s, got to love that. I digress. Back to Tony. Three learnings. Well, actually, a lot more than three learnings from that fireside chat, but three that particularly struck a chord with me. Ask, number one, ask and you shall receive. That wholesale wholesaler example Tony gave of, you know, asking them what they can contribute to the promotion. I've done the same at Flight Centre. I think we do have to ask more, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised more often than not with the result. Number two, deal of the century packaging idea. How good was that? Hey, package things up in a way that emotionally engages people. That's about brand building right there. I loved that name. Uh, number three, empower people. I loved what Jerry Harvey said to Tony. Go get the result, Tony. I want you to figure out how. You know, empower your people. I think, and I'm as guilty as anyone here, I think we'll be, we, we, we can be surprised, pleasantly surprised at just how well um, other people can bef- perform on our behalf. So, Tony, mate, thank you very much for being a part of the show. And listeners, I hope you got a lot from that. Now, upcoming, upcoming guests. Check this out. Okay, so I've got Tracy Angwin um, from a KPI student who has made payroll sexy and turned her business around. She's published an amazing book. She's building an amazing business. She's doing some amazing marketing. I am going to share, let you ears drop in on a private consulting session I did recently with a lady from Zimbabwe who hit, who hit me up for a bit of um, bit of free mentoring. So I recorded that. I'm going to share that with you in the coming weeks. I have got an interview with the owner of health.com.au coming up where we talk about the power of short one-word domain names. And I also have a fireside chat with the founder of the biggest online furniture store in Australia, according to Ibis World Research. Uh, His name's Dean and Dean owns and started Milan Direct. So, hey, what about that? There is marketing gold just dripping, dripping from the ceiling. Don't worry, I won't play the track right there. Now, um, before I leave you, forum, Small Business Big Marketing Forum, head over to smallbusinessbigmarketing.com, hit that forum button, watch a video of me rattling on a bit about why and how you can benefit from being a member of it. Uh, And a big, big thank you to Net Registry for all the love and support they give to this show and as a result, make this kind of information accessible to any motivated small business owner that is willing, that is willing to hear me rattle on. Enough. Enough, he says. May your marketing be the best marketing. I'll share some iTunes listener reviews on the other side of this outro, but have a fantastic week, team. See ya. You've been listening to the Small Business Big Marketing Show with Tim Reid. Want more marketing goodness? Then visit smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. Okay, it's time to give back a little bit of listener love. Thank you so much to everyone who does leave a written review on the Apple iTunes store. Helps boost my ratings and my ego. This number is from, this number, this review is from Sean Sachs. He says, love this stuff, five stars. Thanks, Tim. Always feel motivated when listening to your podcast. Thanks always for your great content. Regards, Sean. This one's from Stewface. Stewface says, incredible podcast. Don't let this pass you by. 
Why? Five stars. Mm, nice. I discovered this podcast six months ago. I listened to all 150 episodes. Every single one contained a few nuggets of gold. The lighthearted approach to business and marketing is a fantastic methodology to keep you enthralled episode after episode. Timbo, please keep up this incredible effort you put in each week. I'm finding it hard to wait between episodes after listening to them back to back for six months. Oh, Stu, that's very kind, mate. Thank you. And this one is from Shinoko. And Shinoko says, great motivation and mentoring. Five stars. I recently heard Tim say that a long-time listener had described the podcast as being like a mentor for them. This was a thought I had had independently, and I'm glad that other people have had the same experience. I don't really have good business minds around me whose brains I can pick, so the guests on SBBM and Tim himself end up being like mentors in a way. That's nice. They, th- they keep my brain thinking about new possibilities and motivated. I started listening around November 2012 and started implementing changes in my business in the new year. We have doubled in revenue every month since January until we imploded and had to rethink how we were going to cope. Wow. Good problems to have. We're now restructuring the business a little more and all is looking very promising for the future. I recommend this podcast to anyone trying to build a small business. Guys and girls, thank you so much for those. Have a wonderful week. May your marketing be the best marketing.